Our Father and our God, thank you for today. Thank you for the journey through Hebrews so far. Thank you for all we've learned. The supremacy of Christ as Son, as Lord over all creation, as greater than the angels, as greater than Moses, as greater than the than Aaron and the priesthood of Aaron. Thank you because we're going yet further into your word. I pray that there's clarity. I pray that confusions dissolve. I pray that the truth of your word shines brightly in our hearts and we're able to reflect on the truth of your word in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good day, everyone. Good morning to everyone here. Good day to everyone who will be listening. Um, today, we're going to continue right from where we stopped. Hebrews 5 verse 11. Um, I'm very excited because we're going into the dreaded Hebrews 6 scripture. And uh, for those of, for those, I don't know if where you're listening to this or at what stage you are listening to this, but if you've ever come across Hebrews 6, I think that's from verse 4 to 6, it has caused so many controversies. Ah, can we fall away? Ah, if I fall away, I can't say I'm sorry. All of that. What happens? What What's it trying to say? And the problem with difficult passages is that the more notorious they get for being difficult, it almost seems like it becomes harder to interpret. What do I mean by that? If you were reading Hebrews for the first time without any recollection of oh um, this is what i had in church this is how difficult i've always known hebrews 6 ah what does it mean and all of, without all those that fear um it will shock you that if you could just pay attention to the laws of hermeneutics and you just try to read in context you just be as objective as possible to receive right it's exegesis you are trying to receive what the author wants to tell you no preconceived notions no trying to filter through so many lenses of our um, church traditions, all of that. It's actually a lot easier than it looks. Um, I remember when uh, I got to Romans 9, and I'm like, what is this? Romans 9, 10, and 11. That's another portion as well that people have argued over for years. Um, so it's going to be something similar today. Hebrews 6 from verse 4 to 6. Uh, I don't want you to just see it as though that's all I'm teaching. No, we're still teaching the book of Hebrews. Don't forget, he wasn't trying to write a few sentences that would be difficult to understand that would throw the entire book into disarray. The author is passing a clear message to the audience. In fact, so clear that he expects them when it's read aloud that they understand what he's trying to say. So um, you need to realize many times that in your attempt to perform exegesis or to try and understand a passage, if you're having to merry-go-round, if you're having to do a lot of um, pull out, put from here, take from here, shake it together, running over, and to, to arrive at a conclusion you want to arrive at, it's probably not right. Many times the interpretation is as clear as the text. They're like They're not trying to... They were not passing a message that, ah, we don't want it to get into an unbeliever's hands. So that, no, no. Don't forget, we, that's what we discussed in the very first um, episode, right? Sorry, very first episode or very first teaching of Journey Through the Epistles. That they were meant to be understood. Paul was not trying to confuse you. And even when we see things like, oh, they are hard to be understood. Who are the people that twist it? The unstable. 
So for a mature, stable believer whose heart is actually in the right place and with the right teaching, none of these things we read should be hard to understand. I want you to go into scripture with that, with that, with that idea, especially in the epistles. They were writing to explain. They were not writing to confuse. If I'm getting more confused reading the explanation, there's a problem. There's a problem somewhere. We're going to see similar themes today. So as we start today, I want you to don't just throw away what we've talked about Hebrews 1 to 4. Don't throw away what we've talked about in our introduction to Hebrews. Keep in mind all those concepts as we read on. It's still part of the same letter. So don't say, ah, we're about to get there. Hey, what will Daniel say about these verses? No, I'm explaining the book of Hebrews. I'm not trying to give my own interpretation of what I think just three verses mean. Amen. All right. Just by way of recap, remember we said um, the general consensus is that the book of Hebrews was what written to Jewish believers scattered around who were undergoing persecution for their faith, right? And as a result, many of them, or there was increasing pressure to go back to Judaism. And so a lot of the things, in fact, remember I told you whenever you, you have to first of all bear in mind the overall motive of why the letter was written. Because that motive alone would frame the general context of the entire book. So when we even talk about things like reading in context, people need to realize, or we all should realize as good Bible students, it's more than just the preceding verses or the thoughts. There's the local context. There's the general context of the entire letter. In fact, there's then the global context of what we call Christian theology, where you have to interpret everything you read in the lenses of the local, the general book, and then even the idea of Christianity as a whole. Right? Um, someone was asking me a question over the week that um, what do we make of Israel in wars today? And um, should we support them because of their, uh, their God's people and all that? I said, no, you're missing the general theology of the Old Testament. And we've gone through this in Galatians. The only reason Israel is special is because that was through whom the seed was to come. And that's why now that Christ has come, Paul will say, who are the true Israelites? It's those who have faith in Christ. So God is not necessarily sponsoring any holy war on behalf of Israel anywhere per se, right? That's just, I don't want to go into that, but that's more of an um, understanding the Old Testament than what we're about to do today. But what I'm trying to say is you need to understand, it's kind of like what we read in Hebrews 1 verse 1 when we started, that God spoke in various times and in various manners to the fathers, right? And now he has spoken in these last days in the sun. So you need to be able to understand how God has spoken from time to time. And then put that together to understand the message of God ultimately or conclusively or finally revealed in Christ. So bear all that in mind as we go today. Right? I'm not explaining just three verses. We are still looking at the book of Hebrews in the light of the entire letter. What was the author trying to say that said that said i will admit that because of the way probably a lot of things and in the body generally it can be i will admit it can be a tricky passage and in fact i've heard various interpretations and when we get there i would i would list out some of the interpretations i've heard some seem more right than others and all of that 
Um, I will talk about the implication of that theology and then we would examine the text to see what I believe um, the author is trying to say. I, I remember when this finally jumped at me. <laughs> it finally made sense. And I'm like, wow. At the end of the day, context really is king. Context really is king. So don't don't fall into the trap of explaining difficult passages and how do you want to explain it? You just read those three and say, hmm, what can this mean? No, read the entire book. Read the entire book. If you need to read it over and over, just read it. In fact, there are times I say, um, going through Hebrews, or when I'm reading an epistle, for instance, I just read through. There are verses I'm like, what is going on? I don't pause there to even, I just read the whole thing to even just get an idea. Where is this whole message going? And then we can go back again. Oh yeah, so all these little, I have to stop saying things like, oh yeah, and stuff like that. There are more, they are, there's a wide variety of people listening to this podcast. <laughs> but anyways, um, what does this specific, um, what's this specific portion? What does it refer to? And stuff like that. So if all I've said makes sense so far, let me see thumbs up again let me see thumbs up you guys are privileged because i can go over it again here but if i've passed it here in the recording i don't know where you will find me (laughs) okay it makes sense it makes sense (laughs) all right all right perfect 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 so last week we started with hebrews 4 verse 14 and once again i said it that i really don't know how these things were split into chapter and verses because in some cases, they do more harm than good. <laughs> but anyways, we started from verse 14. And we were talking about Jesus as high priest, right? We looked at the qualifications of a high priest in Hebrews 5, where it says, number one, um, I wish this was a, an actual class class. I would have said, put it in the chat. What were the four things I said? Because it's important that you remember. Number one, um, I said he's taken from among men, right? He's a man representing men to God. Number two, he offers sacrifices for sins. Number three, because he is a man and because of the weaknesses of the flesh, he is able to identify with the people he's interceding for. And number four, he didn't just wake up one morning and said, I'm now your high priest. He was chosen by God. And I said each of these four things is important because, or each of, yes, each of these four things are important rather because in all we've seen so far, how does the author of Hebrews tries to make a case? So when he's comparing Jesus and angels, he will let you know what angel, or who angels are and he will show you the supremacy of Christ. When we go to Moses, he told you who Moses was, right? He's a high priest. He served as a servant in God's house and then he will show you who Christ is. He's a son. He's the head of the entire house, including Moses, right? Now we're getting to Jesus versus the high priest or the priesthood of Aaron or the levitical priesthood right and the author will first let you know who is a high priest um what is he meant to represent and then he will start to show you how by each of those same criteria jesus is superior so we're going to see how as a man jesus is superior we're going to see how as as pertaining to sacrifices for sins jesus is superior we're going to see how in terms of compassion and sympathy he is in fact we've looked at that already because he was tested in fact he was killed he learned obedience by the things he suffered and because of that he was made a perfect high priest remember that um, when we looked at that in previous chapters so we've he's already shown you the supremacy of that in terms of being able to relate with the people he's interceding for 
and finally we're going to look at the fact that he was also called by god so just see that's why i said take note of those four points the author is going to slightly deviate a bit and then once we get to chapter seven we're going to go back into the priesthood um aaron versus melchizedek so keep that in mind in your notepad somewhere just say what we're going to come back to those four points so right still on your table angels moses number three is the priesthood of aaron we're going to get there but he's talked about that last week we talked a bit about prayer right we talked a bit about perspectives to prayer we talked a bit about the perspective to suffering um what else did we look at we looked at um how the sacrifices in the old testament were only pointing to what christ would do and it's a very important point to note that in everything we've been doing so far where is the author of hebrews drawing his argument from from the old testament because that was all scripture was at that point in time when they say you read the scriptures they didn't have the author of hebrews did not have hebrews he couldn't do journey through hebrews he was literally writing it as he was there right he didn't have um romans and stuff like that no what they had as bible study was the old testament so get rid of any perspective that makes it look like ah the old testament that one has gone let's let's go to um the new testament because that's where it's at no whatever we teach as christianity today is first found the foundation in fact the authority behind it it's found in the old testament it's only explained or revealed clearly in the new so it's they are not contrasting god was not trying to do something in the old and then he says okay it didn't work plan b let's do let's give them a new testament no the old testament reveals how god was working through a covenant people to ultimately bring about christ so whether it's the old whether it's the new we should be able to see christ revealed when it is properly taught and that's one of the things the reasons we're doing journey through the epistles what you'll find out is that by the time you've read many of the apostles um writings and their commentaries remember galatians for instance when we looked at the commentary of abraham and the promise that was made we're going to see a lot of that in romans we're going to see in fact so far we've been seeing that's all we've been seeing in hebrews the idea is that when these people read the old testament they saw more than david and goliath they saw more than daniel in the lion's den even though they are good stories that have valid lessons, Joseph the Dreamer, <laughs> all those things we grew up, they were valid. They are valid lessons when taught properly. But much more than that, they saw Christ. And it's so important. That's how to read the Bible. Every Bible study properly done should reveal who Jesus is and what he has done. If not, something is wrong somewhere. You've, you've, you've gotten sidetracked. If you are looking for Hebrew women, my wife shall be as a Hebrew woman. She can deliver without CS. You've 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 messed up. You've messed up, right? Um, I was about to throw in a slang, but I'm trying to respect myself. <laughs> but it's very important. It's so important to take note of that. So that's what I'm going to see. Everything I'm saying as preamble, you're going to see the author of Hebrews actually talk about it a lot more. We're going to see him really, really emphasize that. So now that we've looked at just a recap of what we've done last week, let's go into Hebrews 5 verse 11. Hebrews 5 verse 11. So turn, get your Bibles, get your notepads, and let's learn. Remember, he stopped at the priesthood, right? Very important. He was about to start to compare 
who Jesus was as he was according to the order of Melchizedek. So you should be reading, okay, Melchizedek, how far? Where are we going with this? Let's read Hebrews 5 verse 11. What you would realize at the end of today is that prepositions, all those things we learned in school, for, therefore, under, below, before, by, it will save you a lot today. But let's let's go on. Hebrews 5 verse 11. So concerning Melchizedek, it says, Of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. So what he's saying is that we have a lot to say about Melchizedek and the priesthood of Jesus that is according to the order of Melchizedek. He says, but it's hard to explain. Now, pause. Why is it hard to explain? Is it because it is the content is difficult? No. It's because of the state of their hearts. So it's hard to explain because, that's the word since there is still the word because, right? It's hard to explain because they have become dull. The word there in the Greek is nothros, N-O-T-H-R-O-S. It means sluggish or lazy. So because you've become sluggish, you are not eager to learn, your heart is unresponsive as pertaining to the truths of God's word. It has made what I'm about to tell you, all the things I want to say going forward, hard to explain. And that tells you something amazing about Bible study, that sometimes it's not that the content is hard. It's more, more so check the hearts of the people that are trying to study. Are you actually eager to learn? Are you actually eager to throw yourself at the truths of God's word? It's similar to Luke 24 verse 25. When Jesus was walking with those two people or those two disciples actually, ironically, they were disciples on the road to Emmaus. And you're like, ah, we heard this Jesus guy. We thought he was going to be the one to save Israel. And what did Jesus say? Oh, fools. I think the word there in the Greek is anuetos in the Greek. It means from the word nous, that's your mind. And then whenever you see that word a something, like um, it's anti. So you're not using your mind. Oh, fools and slow of heart. The same thing there. You see the condition of your heart to believe all that the prophets have said. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses, he explained to them Christ in all the scriptures. So you see what Jesus did there. He met people who were meant to be followers of Christ, but they were expecting because of they, because they did not use their hearts, because they were dull. Jesus said they were slow of hearts. They were fools. They didn't use their minds. I heard the Peter, he says, foolishness is a fool, is a spiritual word. <laughs> they were fools. They weren't using their minds. They were slow of heart. They were not able to understand the scriptures. They were not able to understand the scriptures. So it wasn't because it was hard. The point there is that for anyone using his mind, you should have been able to see through the scriptures that there would be a Christ who would suffer and after his suffering, enter into his glory. Not only that, the suffering was necessary. That's why you see people like Anna. If you look at, for instance, um, the prophecy, um, I'm, I've forgotten the name of the other person um, that also met Jesus in the temple. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, but if you look at the prophecy he gave in the book of Luke, I think that's Luke 1 or Luke 2, very spot on. He would save the people from their sins. He would turn men's hearts to God. Through him, forgiveness would be made available. And you're like, ah-ah. Is this guy in the New Testament or is he in the Old? But what was it? Because he has understood, because he has studied the scriptures, he was able to see that indeed 
Christ was to suffer. Christ was to die. I mean, you read Isaiah 53, you would see that there is a lamb that is to be slain through whom we all, he would take upon himself our iniquities. He says, by his stripes we are healed. Jesus was telling them that if you were paying attention to what you were reading, you won't be surprised that I died and I rose back to life. You won't have been expecting some political guy who will come and take over operation change. I, I don't know. To, to take over the Romans and establish a Jewish nation that would last forever. You would have known that it wasn't talking about anything physical. It wasn't talking about one violence. It was talking about salvation from sin. So the problem, once again, was not that the scriptures, the Old Testament was hard. It was that the audience were fools, meaning they didn't use their minds and they were slow of heart. And that's why I said that, what did he do? Begin from what he expounded. I think that word in the Greek is the word diamenuo. It means to interpret, to explain. He explained Jesus. So he would go to the law. He would explain Christ. He would go to Abraham. He said, you see this place here? He was talking about the gospel. He would go to um, Joshua. He said, you see this whole wilderness experience? It's talking about the gospel. He will go to the Ten Commandments. You see this thing about Sabbath? It's talking about the gospel. He will go to David. You see all these things about establishing a kingdom. It's not Solomon. It's Christ. He will go to Isaiah. He will go to Daniel. He will go to Joel. He will go to Ezekiel. I will put within you a new heart. You see, it's always been about Christ. It's always been about Christ. And it's the same thing we see here. The writer of Hebrews is about to, he wants to go on to start to explain from the same scriptures a lot of things about the priesthood, a lot of things about Jesus and his superiority to Melchizedek and stuff like that. But what does he say? Because you have become dull of hearing, it is now hard to explain. In the face of all you are, maybe because of persecution, who knows, you guys have become soft. You guys are not able to receive what I'm about to tell you concerning Christ and his superiority as revealed in the scriptures. um, Thumbs up if that makes sense. Thumbs up if that makes sense. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. Good, 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 good. Verse 12, it goes on, it says, For by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone Sir, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. The first thing we can see there is that maturity is seen in the ability to teach others. Maturity is seen in the ability to teach others. As a believer, if you've been studying, you've been taught the word of God consistently over a period of time, we should, one of the ways we would know that you are growing is because is, is in your ability to be able to explain the same truths to people. So it's it goes back again to kind of like the whole idea of ministry gifts, right? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. The role of the ministry gifts are not people we just hang on a pedestal and we're looking at and say, Oh, see that apostle is so amazing. God is using him mightily. No, they are gifts to us, the body to equip us so that we all can become who God wants us to be. 
We all will be able to teach the truths of God's word. We all will be able to prophesy. We all will be able to work miracles. We all will be able to, to grow into maturity as believers. And it's the same thing here. That by this time, after all the teaching, after all you've learned, you should be able to teach. You ought to be teachers of the word of God. It says, yet, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You can highlight that word. The first principles of the oracles of God. What is he trying to, to talk about? I've already given a lot of teasers about that. First of all, let's just examine a few of the words. The word principle is the word stoichion in the Greek. S-T-O-I-C-H-E-I-O-N. It simply means the way something is arranged. The way something is arranged, a, a procedure of events or something like that. Of the oracles, the word oracles is logia. It literally means to speak, an utterance, right? What is he saying? That you need someone to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. Remember Hebrews verse 1 verse 1. What does he say? God what? Spoke. God spoke in times past, in various times and in various manners to our fathers. So even that... What was God speaking about? I told you, he didn't, he wasn't saying A to Abraham and saying B to us in Christ. No, it's been Christ all through. But it was in different ways, different degrees of revelation. Paul even says it was hidden in a sense. It was cigar, it was silent. But now, now that Christ has come, now that the fullness of times have come, it has been proclaimed clearly. And so what he's saying here is that you need someone to teach you the very foundations, again, of all that God has said in Scripture. Basically, going back to the basics, and we're going to see that in Hebrews 6 verse 1. Where would the first principles of the oracles of God be found? In the Old Testament. What were they? Jesus taught in the Old Testament. Jesus taught in the Old Testament. There's a teaching I did last year, Honor for the Written Word. It explains this much more. So if you want to, I would highly recommend it. Just reach out to me. And I'll, I'll get that across to you. But the first principles of the oracles of God will be talking about God's revelation of Christ from the beginning. The, 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 the very beginnings of the teachings as, con as pertaining to salvation. Let's look at a few places where the word oracles was used. Let's, 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 let's do that. Let's do that quickly. So we... Hold on, give me a second. So... Acts 7 verse 38. Acts 7 verse 38. So this is Stephen now. It says, This was he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake unto him on the top of Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received what? The lively oracles to give to us. Talking about the Ten Commandments. He calls it the lively oracles of God. The lively oracles of God. Romans 3 verse 2. Paul. Romans 3 verse 2. He's talking about, oh, are the Jews better off or do they have any advantage? He says, much in every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed what? The oracles of God. Referring to scripture, more specifically the law. He calls it what? The oracles of God. So whenever, so the writer of Hebrews is, is making the same allusion that you need someone to once again teach you what was contained in the Old Testament as pertaining to salvation. You need to be taught again. And it says you have come to need milk. Do you see that? Not solid food. He now goes on in verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. That word there is ignorant or inexperienced. 
inexperienced, more, more accurately, inexperienced in the word of righteousness. Do you see that? So if you still need someone to still be teaching you the basics, ah, in the law, the reason we're killing lambs is because Jesus is the true lamb to take away. He says, you still need milk. You are a babe. You are unskilled, meaning you can't handle the Old Testament and be able to divide it well enough to see Christ clearly revealed. Just like Jesus said, he says that all oh, fools and slow hearts. You are, so you see the same, the same um, um, analogy going on because you are still a child. And I mean, at a, when you first get it, it is, it's fine. You are a baby. No one expects you to get saved. And the next day you are saying, do you know that when Moses was on the temple at the top of the mountain, do you know what he saw? No. <laughs> right? There is time for everything. So there is a time to come into the faith and be taught the basics, to be taught the sacrifice of Christ, to be taught forgiveness of sins. But remember, I told you, whenever any of these concepts were taught in the early church, what would be their Bible verses? Would they quote Ephesians 2, for by grace you are saved? No. They will look at the scriptures. So if, if an early church elder wants to teach you on forgiveness of sins, what will he, what will he start from? He will talk about Cain and Abel, Abel's sacrifice. He will talk about the laws of Moses, the, the, the slaying of the lamb. The, and we're going to look at a few of them because that's what he's going on to do. Sending a lamb into the wilderness, all of that. If you want to talk about, um, um, what else? The, the resurrection from the dead. Look at how Jesus defended the resurrection. He said, God said he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob long after they were dead. Said, is God the God of the living or the God of the dead? See explanation from where? The Old Testament. From the Old Testament. So their teaching resurrection is from the old. They are teaching the sufferings of Christ is from the old. They are teaching the, 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 the forming of the early church. Is it not Joel that Peter quoted in Acts 2? I would, um, in the last days, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. So even their, their reference material for Holy Ghost meeting, how we should all participate. They won't go to 1 Corinthians 14 when you all gather. Where would they go? Dwell to all flesh, your sons and daughters, your, the rich, the poor, your maid servant, everyone. So what I'm trying to say is that what would consist of the foundations of the Christian faith will be taught from where? The very oracles of God, which is what they call the scriptures. The scriptures. Thumbs up if that's making sense. I'm saying all this... We're going to be. We're not going to go to chapter seven. I promise you. I'm going to take my time through each verse to make sure everything is clear, so that when we get to Hebrews six verse four, for instance, you start to see why it was never about. It is impossible for no. There's somewhere he was going. So thumbs up if that makes sense. Thumbs up if that makes sense. Awesome. I want to be sure everyone is following. If it doesn't make sense. Um, I just tell me and I'll go over it again. So it says, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. He's unskilled in, okay, I don't get you. <laughs> He's unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's still a babe. He is still a baby boy, a sweet, <laughs> a sweet boy, right? I told you that word there is inexperienced, inexperienced. And that's why you now say in verse 14, what? It says, but solid food belongs to those who have what? Full age. We've looked at this word in the Greek many times in all our teachings so far. It's the word teleos. It's the same word for complete, the same word for perfect or perfection. 
right? We looked at we've looked at it several times in many of Paul's epistles and even in Hebrews. So it belongs to them who are of full age or those who are mature. So who are those who are mature? He's he's about to define what maturity is in this context. He says, those who by reason of use, remember the idea of unskillfulness is you are inexperienced. You've not done it enough. You've not done, when he says someone is not experienced, it means he hasn't done it long enough. So he says that who by what? Reason of use. That's what hex is in the Greek. It means habit or practice. It's the same thing. You've spent time in the word. You've been taught. You've read these things over and over. He says, what happens when you do that? Because of their reason of use, they've had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he's saying there that an, a, a baby believer is the one who still needs to be guided and handheld through the revelations of God revealed in scripture. He says, but have you guys by now, because of the time you spent, you should be able to teach these things, but you still need someone to handhold you through the very beginnings, the elementary steps of all that God has revealed. He says, those who are mature, uh, sorry, um, those who solid food belongs to, what would solid food be here? The ability to do what? To read through the Old Testament and see Christ clearly. Do you see that? It says it belongs to those who are mature. How did they, how did they get to that point? It says, or what does he mean by mature? That by virtue of repetition, teaching upon teaching, study upon study, you've exercised your senses. And the reason he uses that word senses, it's an organ of judgment or perception. You are so skilled in the word that you are able to discern between good and evil. Question for everyone listening, what would be good and evil? Context is king. What is good? What is evil? What is good? What is evil? If you're listening to this, I want you to think about it and try and make a guess in your mind. For you, that, you guys that are here, put it in the chat. What is good? What is evil? What have they exercised their senses to discern? <laughs> no attempts. Try now. It, yeah, put, okay, you can you can say it. Or you could, yeah, you could speak up or put it in the chat. Okay, so what will be evil? What will be evil? Will be evil. <laughs> so, the, um, in the chat says discerning Christ in the Old Testament, identifying Christ. Yeah, being oblivious to Christ. Hmm. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Let me see one more try. That's more of a lack of maturity than be than an evil content. <laughs> What's evil? All right, let's let's let's. Hmm, not exactly. Let's 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 look at it. The first thing here is clearly good and evil is not. Um, um, is it bad to steal? So evil is stealing. Good is giving to the poor. No, <laughs> that he's not talking about moral conduct. He's not talking about behavior. When he he's talking about discernment. And discernment in one context, in what context? By virtue of use and repeated teaching and study, you are able to understand the scriptures well enough to see Christ clearly revealed. What trips a lot of people here is actually the Greek, ironically. The word good is the word kalos, K-A-L-O-S. 
and the word evil is the word kakos, K-A-K-O-S. So I, when, I, when I was studying, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like wordplay. You're able to discern between kalos and kakos, all right? And contrary to what we think of evil in our minds, it's not exactly like, ah, you are an evil person. No, kalos more accurately refers to something that's beautiful, something that's valuable. On the other hand, kakos or evil refers to something that's worthless, so reading it properly, it's, it's going to say that by virtue of use, you are able to discern what is valuable and what is worthless, what you should hold on to and what you should throw away. So what he's saying, right, it's not about stealing or giving to the poor or is bad, is evil to lie, is good to, to pray. No, he's saying that solid food, meaning that the things I'm about to teach you belong to those who are mature. Meaning that by virtue of repetition, study, and habit, they are able to discern whenever they read the scriptures to know what is what they should hold on to and what should be thrown away. You read and you say, okay, this is in Christ. You say this one, no, this one is a shadow, is a shadow, it's not, it's not, it's not. You should be able to know, oh, all these uh, cut my beards, you shouldn't fade your hair, skirts, um, oh, you should know it is not valuable. Right, You should be able to read and you are able to discern. You're able to filter. I'm holding on to this. This, mm, no, not, not as much. Not as much. In to be, I mean, think about it. This, don't forget the Jewish context, right? These are people who converted from Judaism, who their entire life, before coming to accept Christ, they grew up in the scriptures. Don't forget that. Remember I told you, it's always important. Think of the audience. Think of the reason he's writing. So, you should be able to know that, okay, faith in Christ is valuable. Killing Ram today is worthless. Do you get that? Um, what else? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of another example apart from sacrifice. Yes. Um, God does not dwell in temples made with man, human hands. He, he dwells in me physically. Oh, sorry. He dwells in me by his spirit. Valuable. I still need to go to a, a temple or a mountain to seek the presence of God. Worthless. Sabbath, God bless you. Um, Sabbath, there's a rest that God has planned for me in Christ. Valuable. Oh, if, if, if I'm a Christian or if I claim to love the Lord, I must not do anything on Sunday. You are not, your lenses are not clear. You are still not able to divide. So that's what he's trying to talk about. That in that. A mature person is someone who is able to handle the scriptures and know what is valuable. Why is it valuable? Because its fulfillment is found in Christ. Why is it worthless? It was only a guide up to Christ. It's, you shouldn't, it has no, no relevance. You might reflect on some of the lessons. Like for instance, actually, you can look at the Sabbath and see a principle even in the natural that God, God expects us to rest. Right? Even though I would say I won't be like, kind of like the Pharisees. Ah, you heal the man on the Sabbath. They cannot discern anything. In fact, they, they cannot even discern between evil and evil or good and good. Right? As opposed to, oh, if God set up a system in the Israel, um, in the community of Israel, that these people should take a day to just rest and focus and, and pray and spend time with family. That means God, God, God really, he has wired that into the very nature of our being. Maybe I shouldn't be working too much. Maybe I should actually take Sunday to chill. That's a good reflection, actually, 
right? But not that you would say, oh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Ah, that means I shouldn't. You say, can you, brother John, can you drive to, no, I can't pick you up from the airport, it's Sabbath, no. You've not been, you've not been able to discern. So whether, like, killing rams, and you get the point. So the idea is that a mature, a mature believer, someone who is of full age, is someone who by reason of repetition, practice, and habit, has so sharpened his discernment that he's able to always filter out what is valuable as revealed in scripture versus what should be thrown away. Thumbs up if that makes sense. I told you we're here today. We're just going to be going. This is how we'll just be going. <laughs> this is how we'll be going. Thumbs up if it makes sense. Thumbs up if it makes sense. Thumbs up if it makes sense. And you could always listen to this again. All right? All right? All right? Should I go over it? I'm not seeing as many. Okay, good. All right. So let's go to the next chapter. I beg you in the name of God. Do not think we're starting something new. Just hold everything I've said. We're still, in fact, in your... We're not going to another chapter. We're just continuing the flow of thoughts, please. Because that's a mistake people make. Sometimes, even in like trying to interpret Hebrews 6 from verse 4 to 6, where do people start? Chapter and verse 1. Clearly, what he's saying now, it started since verse 11, but verse 11 started because of what he was saying since chapter 4 about the priesthood. And that has to now do with what he's trying to say in the overall book about the supremacy of Christ. So do you see how context works? It's not that... Um, you, again, can you see, by reason of use, you should have been so familiar with the scriptures or with the verses that if someone asks you a question, you're not just saying, okay, let's just read what comes before, what comes after. And then, based on what comes before, based on what comes after, this is what, no. You should have, you should have a good understanding of the flow of thought. You should have a good understanding of the local context, which is important. I'm not playing down, playing that. I'm saying if that's all, imagine if you've never read Hebrews before. But you are a word man, you are a man of God. And someone brings that to you. And then you are starting from verse 1, um, Hebrews 6 verse 1. There's so much you've missed in just four verses from Hebrews 5 from verse 11 to 14 that would that can greatly or negatively affect the way you interpret the rest of the, of the thought process. So let's go on to the next verse, Hebrews 6 verse 1. He now says what? Therefore. Remember I told you whenever you see therefore, Ask yourself if you might either want to highlight it or always remember, subconsciously train your mind. Why is the therefore there? What is therefore there for? Right? So he's saying that I want to say so many things, guys. About what? It's still about the superiority of Christ as revealed in the old. He says, but you guys are still, you are still babies. Why are you babies? Why is it hard to understand? Because you've become dull of hearing. It's not because you just got saved. No. It's because you've become lazy. You've become sluggish as pertaining to your response, your eagerness to the word of God, your response, your eagerness to the things of salvation. And he's saying that you still need someone to teach you the basics. He says that by this time, you should be teachers. In fact, strong meats, the stuff I'm about, all I want to say, it can only be received by people who by virtue of repetition and time and habit have trained their minds or have grown to a point of discernment where they can easily make sense of the Old Testament, when they can easily make sense of Scripture, that they read and they see Christ clearly revealed. They don't, they don't lose, they don't waste time in worthless things that do not edify, that have no place in the new covenant. That's what he's saying. He now says, so therefore, 
leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. It's the same word teleos. So let us go on to maturity. Let us actually, that point that I'm saying you guys are not ready. Says, let's, let's grow. Let's move on. So after he scolds them, he, con- he goes on to encourage them and he proceeds to lead them on to maturity. Do you see that? He says, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, the same things he talked about in the previous verses, let us now go on to maturity. Let's actually examine these things. He says, not laying again. Now he's starting to list what these el- first principles of the oracles of God, these elementary principles, can you see? So what he calls the first principles of the oracles of God in the previous chapter, he calls it the elementary principles of Christ. The same thing. Right? And the word principle here is not the word stoikion. In the, it's now the word arche in the Greek. It means commencement, the beginnings of something. Right? So, leaving the discussions of the, the beginnings of all that pertains to your salvation, let us go on to maturity. We, you have been on this mountain for too long. Go, go on. Right? So, leaving the principles, the beginnings of, of, of that, let us go on. He now says what? Not laying again. So, he's starting to, to talk about it. The foundation of what? Repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Basics. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. That's the, in fact, the only reason you are saved is because you believe you had faith in God and you believe that your works could not get you saved. So that's like the, the very first thing you should have learned. So that's what he's saying. These are the very things that they learned when they left Judaism to come to Christ. So what is, what's the first one? Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Of course, so dead works there, for instance, works under the law. Oh, I have to strive in my own efforts. I have to do good until I'm a certain point. No. Change all of that. It's not about your works. It's about faith towards God. Of course, I've done Journey Through Galatians. So I'm not even going to spend time on that, right? Um, and then even the idea of repentance. Let me... Let me um, let me deviate a bit. Let's, let me deviate a bit. It's already almost ten. Ayaba yaba yaba. We went down five verses. Five verses. God help us. Um, when he talks about repentance, right? It's what metanoia in the Greek. M e t a n o i a. Metanoia, and it literally means to change your mind. Remember the idea of what nous. Nous is mind right to to change the way you think so i used to think that the earth was flat but upon careful examination i have now come to think that the earth is round i have repented i have changed my mind so usually the idea of repentance talks about a change in your thinking or opinions as a result of information very important you just wake up one morning and say i repent (laughs) no repentance is a response to information i used to think that um there's a friend of mine who this is going to trigger her and that's why i'm actually using this example i used to think that um okay no i'm no 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 as a should i be controversial i don't care i used to think growing up not me i'm just giving an example please i didn't used to think that don't come for me i'm still husband material i used to think that oh women only belong in the kitchen and the other room as a great leader once said 
But now, upon careful examination, I realize that they are equally valuable people in society, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in business, whether it's in politics, I have repented. I used to think that um, through works, or I used to think that there was no God. But upon careful study, after this friend of mine shared this book with me, I now believe there's a God. I have what? Repented. I have changed my mind. I have changed my mind. I used to think that what? Um, through um, by killing lambs or if I tried to do good, God would be happy with me. If I could just not do any bad thing, if I could just love my neighbor better, if I could just not steal, if I could just not lie, God will be happy with me. But upon, um, upon coming to the knowledge of the sacrifice of Christ, I've changed my mind. That's repentance. I used to think that Jesus was just some crazy lunatic Jewish guy claiming he was the Messiah. But upon examining the claims of the resurrection, I believe he's the son of God. That is repentance. As a result of information, you change your thinking. You change your beliefs. You change your opinions. Right? So that's repentance. It's not about, it's not feeling sorry when you do bad things. That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. Because, in fact, think about it. If I lied and I feel bad, I, I'm not changing my mind about whether lying or not, whether lying is bad. I always knew lying was bad. That's why when I did it, I felt bad. Does that make sense? So it's not repentance when I say, ah, God, I shouldn't have lied or mess up. No. There was no change of mind there. I simply acted in a way I already knew was wrong. That's all. That's all. So that repentance is a change of mind. Someone coming to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Someone coming to believe there is a God. Someone coming to believe that his actions are wrong. Because there are some people that in, in sincerity, they did, <laughs> they did not really care. Right? So that's the idea. That's the idea. That's the idea. So the very first thing he lists as the, the principles or the very beginnings of God. Welcome to, I think a lot of people just joined recently. We're in Hebrews 6 verse 1. And I I would beg you, I've told, uh, because we've been on this for almost an hour. And we've just been looking at it from Hebrews 5 verse 11. So I would beg you, when you have the time, please listen to the part you you, you missed. So that the rest of what we're going to say is going to make sense moving on. I beg you. <laughs> I beg you. Right. It's very important. So the first thing is what repentance from dead works and faith towards God. The next thing is, he mentions is what? The doctrine of what? Baptisms. Remember that these are things that are where? Found where? In the Old Testament. There are things found in the Old Testament that actually teach about God's plan in Christ. So, for instance, when it comes to baptisms, we look at, um, it's, it's actually the word baptismus. So, it talks about washings, like ceremonial washings or whatever. You realize even in the, in the Lord, there were a lot of washings. If you are impure, you have to take a bath, you have to wash. The, that, that's what just called outward. You are just cleaning. He called the Pharisees whitewashed walls. That on the outside, you are white, you washed all that. But on the inside, your heart is still bad. So there was an there was a form of baptism or washings in the Old Testament. We would see that actually um, in another. In a, let me even just let me just highlight it right now. 
in Hebrews, give me a second, let me find the, the reference of where he uses the same word baptismus in the book of Hebrews. That's Hebrews 9 verse 10. It says that those things stood as only in meat and drinks and diverse washings. There were many forms of baptisms, in quotes, under the old covenant. In fact, when a Jew, or, or rather when a Gentile decided to become a Jew, there was a ceremonial, there was like a washing to signify you've been made pure. Of course, if you are a believer, I don't need to tell you what all of that was pointing to. It's talking about the true baptism of the Spirit of God, how he has made us pure. He has indeed, if, um, um, Peter, is it Peter or Titus? I can't remember. It says, yeah, I think it's Titus, right? Titus, the water of, um, we've been regenerated by the washing by the waters of the word. The word of God has made us pure. Just to say, unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot be saved, right? He says that John indeed baptized with water, but he that is coming, um, but I baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So we see in the old an idea of washings for purity, but we see in Christ the fulfillment. How did Jesus wash us? He gave us his spirit. He cleansed us from the sin nature. He gave us his word, right? Not only that, he goes on, what's the next thing? The laying on of hands. A lot, another another very interesting um, concept. This is not talking about, um, I'm about to go start, lay on some, no. This was open to Leviticus 16. If you've never learned this before, this will blow your mind. Remember, what are we talking about? Teachings in the Old Testament that he called what the elementary principles of Christ. Go to Leviticus 16 verse 21. This was when someone sinned. He said what? Aaron shall do what? Lay both his hands on the head of the live goats. Confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins. Putting them on the what? The head of the goats. And shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goats shall bear on itself what? All their iniquities in an uninhabited land. And he shall release the goats into the wilderness. Do you see that? I'm, I don't already have, I mean, you can already start to guess where this is going to, right? Look at Leviticus 24 verse 14. Leviticus 24 verse 14. This was when someone blasphemed God. From verse 12, what does it say? From verse 13, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take outside the camp him who has cursed. Let all who heard him lay their hands on him. And let all the congregation stone him. Do you see that? So in a sense, by laying hands, they were, they, were, they were imputing, I mean, in the first case, they were imputing their sins onto the poor asun, <laughs> onto the poor goods, right? In the second, in the second, um, in the second case, it was, it was them identifying with the sin of that guy that this guy messed up and we are all witnesses. Look at Numbers 8 verse 12. Numbers 8 verse 12. What does it say? It says, Then the Levites shall what? Lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, and you shall offer one as a sin offering, and the other one as a burnt offering. And then you shall make atonement for the Levites. So when we see laying on of hands in the Old Testament, what does it talk about? The imputing of sins. What does what, what should ring in your head when you hear that phrase? First Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians 5, that God is no longer imputing on us. Since he has imputed it on Christ. He has imputed it on Christ. So in a sense, the true lamb that they were laying hands on, what we all 
have laid hands on Christ. And as a result, our sins have been imputed to Christ. We're going to see the two references in this same book. Remember, there's a goat that they will lay hands on, they will send to the wilderness. There's one they will lay hands on, they will kill it. Of course, we see Jesus, um, Jesus being killed as a sin offering. It's the same thing the writer of Hebrews says, I believe in Hebrews 12 or Hebrews 13, that Jesus was led out of Jerusalem to, to, um, to be killed, right, at Golgotha. He was led outside the temple, outside the city of Jerusalem. The same with the goat. When you lay your hands on him, you lead the goat out. You lead the goat out. So when he's talking about laying on him, he's not saying, sir, I will not go unless you bless me. Lay hands on me. No, he's talking about how our sins were imputed on Jesus. Thumbs up if that makes sense. Can you see why we're... There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. Thumbs up if that makes sense. Thumbs up if that makes sense. Good, 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 good. Awesome, awesome. So the laying on of hands... Um, of the resurrection of the dead, I don't. Ha- I don't think I have to explain. <laughs> I don't think I have to explain that. I've already explained how Jesus even referenced God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he said, um, "Is God the God of the dead alone?" That's from. You can see that in Mark 12, from verse 18 downwards, and he says, "No, he's also the God of the living." Sorry, he's, he's not. He's the God of the living, rather, to testify that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob live. Right. So there's a resurrection after the dead, and then he says of eternal judgment. So that at the end of the world, there would be a judgment, a reckoning where we would give account of our lives to God. So these are like the basic things of Christianity. Repentance, faith towards God. Oh, you were washed, right? In quote, that's your baptism. Your sins have been imputed unto Christ. You There's, there's a resurrection from the dead and the world will be judged. <laughs> this, like, this is literally John 3.16, right? That That's the idea. That's why he says, by now you should be able to teach <laughs> these things but you still need someone to teach you again that when you read leviticus there's no ram there's no ram there's only christ you should be able to you by now you should have been mature enough to even read and still and go deeper or go further in your understanding of christ as revealed. but you still need someone to still teach you the basics of your sins are forgiven of Christ is the true picture of those rams. Christ is the true picture of those baptisms. Christ is the true picture. Do you get what he's trying to say? That's the idea. And that's why he's saying that we're going to go on. Not that we're laying it away like we're, we're discarding it. No. No. We're going to build on. And that, that's why I say he calls it a foundation. Do you see that? We're going to keep building on what we've learned. Let's, let me talk about Melchizedek now. Let me talk about the priesthood. <laughs> Let me talk about priesthood. You mean like, um, not off the top of my head, not off the top of my head, but you'd see things like um, um, when David's child died. I can't think of the exact reference. I can think of instances when David's child died. And as soon as the child died, David started eating and drinking again. And the guys, the guys like, but you were crying while this, guy, this baby was sick. He says, he's with the Lord. He's fine. To show that David had an idea that death is not the end. Death is not the end. Right? Um, even about things like eternal judgment. Let me think. I can't think of, of, of some of these references off the top of my, my head right now. Um, but even, yes, for instance, um, Psalms. When, um, um, when Peter, in, at the very Pentecostal morning, <laughs> when he says things like, you will not leave my soul in Hades. Right? You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Things like that. Right? Even in Isaiah 53, 
after he says all this, he says when he sees the work of how he's dead, why is he seeing the works of his hands? Stuff like that. Or when God will say, I would establish your throne forever and ever. So there, there's already an idea of eternity. You see Ecclesiastes, it says you have planted eternity in the in the human heart. In the human heart. So there are there are a few references. I can't think of a lot of specific ones, but just all scattered around. It was a clear Jewish understanding that there is a resurrection from the dead and there is judgment. All right. So those are just a few, those are just a few ones. And you could take it up as an assignment and see how these things were properly taught and referenced even in the Old Testament. Because don't let's never forget that is all the people had. The audience, that is literally when they gather together in houses and into to fellowship, the elder is reading from the Old Testament and he's explaining these things. This is what he's explaining. Amen. Good. And I says, and this we will do, meaning we would actually build on on what you've learned, that by now you should be able to move on. And this we would do, or not, not like move on forgetting. Do, never forget. I'm not saying, ah, baby stuff, I don't need to hear it again. No. But we should be able to build on what you already know. It's not that we're throwing away something to pick up. No. We're building on what you already know. Right? He now says in verse 4, the cocoa of today if you want to call it that i don't even think so it now says for it is impossible before you even start to think about anything what is the first word in hebrew 6 verse 4 at least in my translation for for highlighted to your side next i saw comes to ask you You'd, you'd, it's the word gar. It just means the reason for an argument, like the, a reason. I'm about to say something because it's, it's not, there's nothing to it. For, right? It's about to say, oh, ah, let's say I said, sister, I'm, um, what they call it, please make bread and egg for I am coming home soon. So the reason I'm telling her to make bread and egg for me is because I'm coming home soon and I've not eaten anything today. So I beg, please make something for me. Don't let me starve, right? It's a reason. So when he's about, whatever he's about to say now is the reason or it's one of the reasons that he wants them to grow. It's one of the reasons, he, sorry, rather, it's one of the reasons he doesn't want to keep teaching just the elementary principles of Christ is one of the reasons why it's like let's 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 go on to perfection. Why so? Why should we go on to perfection? So a lot of times that's already where people miss it. They start to interpret from verse four to six and they don't even understand why it was written. He's about to say something that is the reason why he wants to keep teaching as a build up of what they've learned and not just stay at a place and accommodate sluggish slash lazy people that claim to be Christians. Why should we go on to perfection? For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gifts, have become partakers of the <laughs> Let me read this. And have tasted the heavenly gifts and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, to renew them to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So basically saying, the reason we want to go to perfection is because it is impossible for a certain category of people, if they fall, to, to be renewed to repentance. Which repentance? Again, remember Hebrews 6 verse 1. Laying again the foundations of what repentance from dead works. So if they fall away, what would they be falling back to? Let me ask that. Before I even start to explain, let's just pick apart the obvious things. 
what are they going to fall back to in this context in the context of the audience is speaking to what would falling away be remember i saying renew to repentance i've explained what repentance means so what are they falling back to exactly judaism god bless you they are falling back to laying on of hands and cutting ram they are falling back to those dead works that they repented from so technically he's saying they are going back to judaism they are going back to judaism but they are going back to works that's in the context of a jew now or if it's not a jew you're going back to works that have no fruits that's why they are dead they can't bring you to Christ. They are the very things you left away, to, you left aside to come to faith in Christ. So that's what that's what falling. I mean, just a clear read of the context is very obvious. That's why it says renew them back to repentance. So you have repented indeed. You have come to believe in that my work cannot save me. It's faith in Christ, right? But falling away will be somewhere along the line. You maybe somehow thought, and I'm not saying that's what can happen. I'm just explaining what the text is saying. Don't worry, we're still going to go over everything. I'm just, let's let's pick apart the easy things. So falling away is going back to the very things you repented of, aka um, the, the, the evil, remember, the worthless things that you threw away to pick up Christ. The worthless thing, the evil things that you, in quotes, that, the carcass that you threw away to pick up Christ. So now, let's go into the text. Who are these people that is impossible to renew if they go back? The first thing he says is what? They were enlightened. And now, let me... So, you can write it in your in your Bible. Just make a mental... I mean, I, I believe you're taking good notes already. The first thing is they are enlightened. The second thing is they've tasted the heavenly gifts. So you can list it on separate lines. The next thing is they are partakers of the Holy Spirit. The next thing is they've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. These are four very powerful descriptions of spiritual experiences. What can they possibly, <laughs> whatever can they mean? <laughs> so now let me first talk about some of the views that people share. And then I will explain what I believe to be true as revealed in the word of God. And I believe and I hope that by my explanation, it is clear as day. Please give me a second. Let me drink water. But I hope we are learning. I hope this is one of the slowest paces we've ever done. But I, I hope you are seeing why it's very necessary. I hope you are seeing why it's very necessary. So Bible study is work. It is, it is work. I know some of you will be happy to know that I have thrown away my gallon. And I have, me too, I have moved on to perfection. <laughs> Anyways, um, I've left behind the old ways, but let's 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 get back to it. So the first, I've repented. <laughs> the first view, actually, one of the things I found is that by the time you're able to joke about certain things, like it shows you actually properly understand how it's supposed to be used. But that's just it's something I notice when I and my friends joke with certain phrases in scripture. <laughs> but anyways, um, um, where am I? Yes, all um, popular views. The first popular view is that um, these are not Christians. They are professing Christians. You know, we've talked a lot about that, right? These are just people who 
they are just in the church by association. They just have ID card. They've never ever placed faith. That's one view. Another view is these are people who have the, the, the revelation of God has been made clear to them in the sense in which they know the truth, but they haven't believed, right? They are not yet Christians. They just know the truth, <laughs> right? So what you hear in that school of thought is that it is possible to, to, um, to get to a point where you know everything to be true, which is true, right? I mean, the Pharisees did know Jesus was the son of God. They, <laughs> um, at least some of them, not all, because Jesus did say, "Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing." But some of them, um, they, they, that's why, that's why he said, "Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven," because you clearly know that what I'm doing is by the Spirit of God, and you are yet calling me a devil. So this is an intentional decision to reject me. I was reading a book um, earlier. Um, and I was talking about a guy who had a vision of hell and all of that. And this one that they've been preaching to before. So he spoke to one of the people that has preached to him. And he's like, um, yeah, I had a vision of this. I, I believe that if I don't get, get saved, I'll go to hell. And like, yeah, I don't think I'm ready to get saved. So in that case, he knows that Jesus is the way to salvation. But hell is a more excellent way. <laughs> Something like that. So that's the school of thought that it's people who... The, the the revelation of, of salvation has been made clear, but they are not Christians per se. And then there's the category that um, they are Christians, that this is talking about genuine believers falling away. Some of the reasons you'd hear for saying that they are not Christians is because, again, the, the many verses that talks about how God is preserving the believer, the believer will endure, um, um, all that the Father has given Christ will not be snatched out of his hands. We are kept by the power of God through faith. I have confidence that he who started a good work will perfect it unto, unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling and all of that. That seems to, to talk about how, my brother, if I knew the answer to that question, <laughs> there will be more saved people on the earth today. But um, <clears throat> what they call it? Um, yes, so that's because there's a lot in scripture that talks about how we are being preserved by the power of God. People are like this cannot be talking about um this cannot be talking about genuine christians and then the people who there are some people that hold to the idea of perseverance that god is keeping me even though yes of course i'm responding by I'm pre, I'm, god is preserving me i'm responding by perseverance but they do believe that this is talking about christians and then there's another category of what is common as armenians who actually believe that Omar, you can be saved today, tomorrow, no sure, <laughs> anything can happen tomorrow, right? So even within the people that feel this text is talking about Christians, there are still different interpretations of what it actually means. I almost, I'm like 90% convinced at this point that the spiritual experiences described here refer to actual believers. Daniel, are you saying we can fall away? Are you saying it? Let's calm down. <laughs> Let us calm down. Let everybody be calm. Remember I told you before you start to impose your theology into a text, 
read what the text is trying. We form our theology from the interpretation of texts. We don't use our theology to interpret texts. It's very important because the theology that you are using to interpret should have been built when you've properly understood all scripture. So if anything, we use scripture to compare scripture. We don't necessarily say, oh, in my church, we believe this. Therefore, this verse must mean this, right? That's terrible. That's a serious. You are reading, you're saying, Hebrews, I don't agree with what you're trying to say. This is what I think you were trying to say. I think it's the same way we do it. Sometimes friends will be like, oh, what? No, I think you were trying to say, <laughs> you don't mean that. I think you were trying. It's bad. It's, ab- it's, it's abusive. And it's, it's unfortunate that many, even teachers of the word of God do that to the biblical text. It's very unfortunate. But yes, let's, why do I believe this are true Christians? Let's start from the word enlightened. It says they are what? They are enlightened. It's the word fotizo in the Greek. It means to shine, to shine upon something, to illuminate, to illuminate. Why, do I, why is that a big word? One of the ways you can always understand the usages of words is to check how they've been used. Sometimes, if possible, preferably in that same book. In that same book. Let's 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 um let's do a little um word study on on um, enlightened. Let's let's check. Ephesians 1:18. That the eyes of your understanding may be what? We already know that in the Greek. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened right enlightened um let's let's hold on let me get this hebrews hebrews 10 32 hebrews 10 32 the very um, same book it says but call to remembrance the former days in which after you were what illuminated you endured a great fight of afflictions after you were enlightened and he's using that to describe what will be after you enlightened after you were saved right but if you think, well, that's just one word. Let's see another one. The next one is tasted of the heavenly gifts. Tasted of the heavenly gifts. People that don't believe this is talking about Christians will say, oh, it's possible to taste, but not eat. First <laughs> Peter 2 verse 3. First Peter 2 verse 3. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. What does Peter refer to? He's talking about their salvation experience. You've come to know the goodness of God in Christ. And so desire the word of God. He's not saying you tasted. It's bitter. Take it away. <laughs> oh no, it's no, no. Let's let's look at more. Let's look at more. Because it's not fair when people use the scriptures like that. The idea of tasting. Matthew 16, verse 28. It says, Very, very, I say unto you, there are some standing here that will not taste of death, of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. They say they will not, no, what? they won't experience it. They won't die. It's talking about an experience. It's not um, the way we think of tasting. No, it's it's an experience. Let's look at, um, um, let me let me get a few more, a few more, um, um, verses, yes. Acts 10.10, 10. in fact, I love this one so much. Acts 10.10. 10. It says, And he became hungry, and he would have eaten. But while they made the food ready, he fell into a trance. The word eating there is the same word for tasting. Gyomai, or I don't, Gyomai, or whatever in the Greek. It's the same word, eat, taste. The same Greek word. Do you see that? 
So the idea of them, they've tasted, but they've not. Acts 23 verse 14. And they came to the chief priests and elders and they said, we have bound ourselves under a great cause that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. It's the same word, taste. Right? It's the same word, taste. In Hebrews 2 verse 9, the same Hebrews, it says what? That, um, um, but you know Jesus, he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. He experienced, he ate it in full. He died. Right? He didn't live leftover. <laughs> he didn't do takeaway. He ate it. He finished it right there. <laughs> right? So, taste would refer to an ex- you experienced it. It's a full-on experience. You have experienced the heavenly gifts. You have become what? Partakers. Let's look at that word. Partakers. Partakers. <laughs> they were not the words that so it's usually when people do things like that it's kind of the same way we say in the church anything you take to God in three days dry fasting it must answer something like that That at the end of the day desperation it just shows how desperate you will go to any length to, to do it but anyways um, so partakers Hebrews 3 verse 1 therefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling Hebrews 3 verse 14 for we have become what partakers of Christ if we hold fast if you hold the beginning of our confidence to the end, right? Um, Hebrews 12, verse 10. For indeed, for a few days, chastening us, what seems best to them? For he for our prophet, that we may be what? Partakers of his holiness. Partakers of his holiness. So, of course, partaking is still the idea of what? Tasting, to experience. So when it says you've, you've come to become, it's the word a participant. Metokos in the Greek. M-E-T-O-C-H-O-S. And associate, you are... You are, you are a partner there. It's, it's, you are liable as well. Meaning you've come to experience that same thing. Of what? The Holy Ghost. Last we checked, who are those who have the Holy Ghost? Who are those who have the Holy Ghost? Believers. Ephesians 1 verse 13. When you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. And then verse 5, finally, they have tasted the good word of God. That's the same thing. You've tasted, desired the word of God. If indeed you have tasted that word, Lord is great. They've, they've experienced the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Again, talking about the Holy Ghost. It's the power at work in us that will quicken us in the world to come. So these are people who are saved. He's not talking about I claim to be. He's, no, he's talking, what he's saying is that it is important. Literally, if you read the text as it is, he's saying it is impossible for anyone who has been washed, sanctified by the blood, received the Holy Spirit. If you somehow go back into Judaism, that I, I know, I know, do this Christian thing. Again, don't forget, and I want you to follow carefully. Remember, we've talked about this that there are people in the church who can say they are not doing. And John will say, What? They left us because they were never part of us. So they were never saved. There are people like the parable of the sower that upon persecution they fall away. And Jesus said, What? It's because they never had roots. They never had roots. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and before I'm, I'm not, we're not talking about whether it is possible or not for it to happen. On it's follow the arguments very carefully. He's not saying, he's not, he's not yet talking about whether or not they can fall away. That because sometimes people use Hebrews for to say, can the believer fall away? Can you see the problem with um learning how to think and reason through scriptures? That is not what he's saying. He's saying if a believer falls away, he cannot be brought back to repentance. The, he's not 
the idea of can it fall away, we would see it in the next couple verses. We'll see it in the next couple verses. But pay attention. Read the text. Don't be in a hurry to jump to a conclusion. Just read it as you are reading. Just read it. It is impossible to um, if, if for those who have been saved. Right? That's the summary. If they fall away, to renew them to repentance. Why? It says what? Because they crucify for themselves again the Son of God. Do you see that? So in view of the knowledge of God, you are disregarding it. It's kind of like the initial crucifixion. People who knew who just was, they willfully chose to kill him. He says that a, a believer who rejects all that he has received in Christ, it's, a, it's akin to crucifying Jesus afresh. That in view of everything, you count it as nothing. It's the same thing in Hebrews 10. And we're going to go there. And I'm glad we've, we've spent so much time. Because when I get to Hebrews 10, you will just read it and it just makes perfect sense. And there'll still be a bit of context, but we'll just see it. So Hebrews 10, 20, um, let's say Hebrews 10, 26. If we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, many times growing up, I used to think this means if I commit intentional sin, that's the end. I'm gone. Like if I know it's a lie and I go and lie, I'm dead. Hell. This, that's the I blasphemed it. No. When it says if we sin willfully, when you read it because I will get there, it means if you reject, let's let me know even put in first. Let's just read it. If we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and the fear and indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who what rejected Moses' law died without mercy at the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more? What punishment do you suppose will be taught what he who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by what? By which he was sanctified, a common sin, and insulted the Spirit of grace. So what does it mean to sin willfully? It's the same thing. You reject the salvation you have received. And it's common sense. If you reject salvation, of course, there's no more sacrifice. I don't understand. The one sacrifice that you had, you say, I don't want. What do you want God to do? <laughs> Should he kill himself again? Do you, do you get? Can you see why it says you are crucifying him afresh? What do you? What else is left? But let's go back. We'll get to Hebrews ten when we get to Hebrews ten. Let's go back. So, I'm sure a lot of thoughts are going through your heads, and when we're done, everything will make sense by the grace of God. So he says they are crucifying him and they are putting him to open shame. But don't re- don't don't forget where we started from. He's saying, I want us to move on. To maturity. I can't keep teaching or we can't keep staying on the, the very things that you should have learned and have grown from as a believer. Why? Because if a believer falls away, he can't be renewed back to repair. So teaching it again and again will not accomplish anything. Before I go on to even explain six, four to six more, does that, that statement I just made, does that make sense? The reason I want us to go and start teaching, let's build up from what we've learned, is because if any believer falls away, teaching those same things, those, in quotes, foundational topics, will not bring you back to repentance because it's not possible. Does that make sense? Just that statement alone, does that make sense? Thumbs up or should I clarify? Yes, just that statement. I want, yes, I just want to be sure that statement alone. Don't forget context, right? Many times people have never even read these three verses in that context. That is what he's saying. The reason I want to go on teaching and let's move on is because if any believer falls away, I can't, 
nothing will bring him back to repentance. So why stay on those topics as though it will somehow bring do, do you get? So um I've explained why I believe it's Christians. Um let me see. There was something I was meant to do in this verse. Yes, going back to that, you see, even Paul, Paul uses very, very um similar ideas very similar ideas so you'd see um um in galatians 6 when we're studying the book of galatians let's let's go there very strong words galatians 6 um oh no sorry my bad galatians 5 very strong strong words stand therefore in the liberty by which christ has made you free do you remember what i taught you liberty was the freedom of christ from the law right um, has made you free and don't be entangled with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that what? If you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. So what would becoming circumcised be in Hebrews 6? That's falling away. That's going back. Because even circumcision, remember, right? It's still an elementary principle of Christ. It's still one of the first principles of the oracles of God. What circumcision meant to teach? The cutting away of our sinful nature, our setting apart to God. So even circumcision is an elementary principle. So if you go back to that as just the worthless thing that, in quote, it is, right? It says Christ will profit you nothing. It says, I testify, every man who becomes circumcised is a debtor towards keeping the whole law. You have become what? Estranged from Christ. All who decide to be justified by the law. And you have what? You have fallen from grace. Can you see the similarity? It's the same thing. Any believer that decides to go back to the law the grace of God profits you. You've counted it as... I, is he saying it's possible? I explained when I when I taught you guys Galatians 6. What does he say in a, in a few... Um, in a few verses... Hold on, give me a second. <laughs> give me a second. Um, in a few verses later, Galatians 5 verse 10, he says, I have confidence. So after he has given that warning, what does he now say? I have confidence. No, circumcision now is done even health benefit. Like again, don't forget what we said. You can you can decide to set apart a day to rest. What we're talking about is is being circumcised as an attempt to be right with God. It's still the idea of going back to dead works. It's not this is not about oh, if I want to kill Ram, go and kill Ram now. But if you are killing Ram for your sins, that's what we're talking about. It's not about the act, it's about going back. To placing faith in dead works, whether it's circumcision, whether it's the laying on of hands, whether it's baptisms, right? That's what he's talking about. That if you ever, as a believer, get back to a point where you believe that you need the law to save you, it says that Christ has profited, and as a result, you don't, um, you are, you, you don't, um, you've disregarded what Christ has done. Then it says you've fallen from grace, or in Hebrews it says impossible to renew you to repentance. And why is that? It says. You are crucifying Jesus again. What would make you believe believe again? What what other information? But let's let's let let me get back on to what I was saying before I finalize. Please give me just a few more minutes. I don't. It will be very dangerous to pause on this note. Very dangerous. <laughs> Please give me a few more minutes, and I promise you, I would end. I've been watching the time. I I did not anticipate this. I never anticipated anymore. <laughs> but. Please bear with me. I appreciate the time. I'll be done very, very soon. We've already gone through most of the hard parts. So he gives the warning, but what does he say in verse 10? I have confidence. I have confidence that 
you know get mined <laughs> it's kind of like saying if you jump from the top of a mountain you will die but i know you will not jump so that's why i said it's not answering the question of whether or not it is possible it was saying if it happens this is the implication he's not saying whether or not a believer will lose his salvation that was not what he was trying to teach He said if a believer ever rejects the gospel he was saved with and goes back to works there's no coming back. He says but nevertheless I have confidence he show me die. <laughs> Let's go back to Hebrews 6. Does the writer of Hebrews does he do something similar? Of course he does because he as well knows that as far as salvation is concerned God is working with us we will see to the end. We're not going to fall away. So it's not incompatible with the idea that God is keeping you but just read the text read what he's saying let's go on <laughs> let's 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 um let's let's go on it says and that's another reason to why it cannot be it cannot not be Christians because why are they being renewed with repentance it means they've repented before and it's the same repentance as this one so they repented from dead works they placed faith in God it's not you can't i don't think it's fair Or it's it's careful study to say this is not Christians. At least that's what I'm convinced, and I hope by the little exegesis I've done, you can see too that this is talking about believers. It says what else again? Um, why? It says for the earth which drinks up drinks in rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs. Talking about a response to salvation, right? Is is um is useful for those by whom it's cultivated and cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears stones and brass, so meaning you drank of the rain, like as the analogy of an earth, you actually the, you received the rain, but you didn't be, you bore stones. Meaning, in response to 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 salvation, it says what it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. It's the same thing in Hebrews 10, right? Fear, fiery indignation, and all of that. The same idea. Right, that if upon the revelation of all God has done for you in Christ, you've come this far, you now say, "I beg, this is I don't want." It says, "What you are like the earth that drank in rain, but brought out thorns, but brought out thorns." He now says, "What in verse nine? Very important, verse nine, because many times people will just read six from verse four to six, and that is the end. They say, ah, it's either I can fall away, I cannot fall away. It's, it's impossible. It's not possible. Calm down." Read on. He says what in verse nine? The same thing Paul said. I have confidence. What does he say in verse nine? But beloved, we are confident. The same word. There is hardly ever a warning in the New Testament about perseverance that is not always backed up with an assurance. Hardly. And that is the mindset. That is what it means to consider all Scripture. You know, say, hey, if I fall away, <laughs> if I fall away, <laughs> is that no? He says, but beloved. We are confident of better things concerning you. We are confident of better things concerning you. What are those better things? Things that accompany salvation. So what accompanies salvation? Let me hear your thoughts. What are the things that will accompany salvation? What are the things that will accompany salvation? Thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. What what would accompany salvation? no tries it's yes perseverance basically exactly so the things that come with salvation is you holding fast to the end it's not 
So basically what he's saying is that falling away is not a thing that is part of us. It's not part of the salvation package you received. He says, we're confident of better things concerning you, things that accompany, I love that word, things that go hand in hand with salvation. So hand in hand with genuine salvation is what? Perseverance. It's perseverance. It's perseverance. And because of that, if we are sure you are saved, we are sure you are going to hold fast. We are sure you are going to stay till the end. Do you see that? So it has not broken the idea that, oh, when you see, oh, they left because they were not part of us. It doesn't change it. The idea is that for everyone who has truly placed faith in Christ, we can be confident concerning them that they would they would hold fast till the end. And that's why it says, though we speak in this manner. So even though he knows, he's using very straight, very harsh words. He says, but we're confident of better things. It's the same, like I said, I said, um, um, now that you have climbed all the way up to the top of this mountain, if you jump, you're going to die. He says, but I'm sure you won't jump. I'm sure you won't jump. That's, it's the same idea. It's the same idea. He now says what? For God, again, for, because, why are we sure? Why are we sure or why are we confident about you guys? It says, for God, and of course, this will be referring to the genuine believers among them. It says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So what do you think both verses have to do? Now, he's saying it that um, by your actions, we know that your salv- there is proof that your salvation is genuine. And God recognizes it too. So you are not in the category of people who drink up rain and will bear thorns. No, we are sure that you are saved. We are sure that the things that accompany salvation will accompany you because you have received salvation. Not only that, we are sure that there is a blessing waiting for you because by your love for people, by your giving to to believers, by your hospitality, we know that indeed you have been born of God. Remember, even many of the things we read in Hebrews, I'm sorry, in Paul's epistles, I've heard of your words, your faith in Christ and your love towards the saints. It goes hand in hand. So we see a believer who loves the brethren. We say, ah, even First John, right? We just did First John. He who loves has been born of God. So it's the same thing. He says, God is not unjust. He won't forget that even indeed your salvation is genuine. God recognizing it. God recognizing it. Hey! God recognizes it and you will be blessed for it. You'll be blessed for it. So even after I've talked about all of this, if it's impossible for them to fall away, of course, in their heads, they'll be like, ah, have I fallen away? Is there hope for me? Ah, this Christianity thing. So once I go back to Judaism, because don't forget, they're going through persecution. They're going through persecution. They say, they're people, they've probably lost loved ones. People have died. And it can be so easy saying, this Christianity, I know do again. Please, let's let's go back to Egypt, right? Let's go back to Egypt. And that's what he said, that if if you fall away, he says, you can't, it's impossible to renew you to repentance. Why? Is it because God is saying, no, I will not renew No. Because even in your heart, you have disregard. It's as, key, it's as though you have crucified Jesus again. In light of who he was, you rejected him. So it's you. It's in your own hardness of heart that you will not come back. Not because God is trying to say, no, uh, uh, God doesn't do rebound. Or if you cheated on me, red flag. <laughs> God is not doing red flag. It's in your own hardness. But yourself, nothing will convince you. It's not that God might not try. Nothing will convince you. Nothing will convince you. So, um, and that's why he's saying that. But 
beloved. I love. Can you see how he switches from harsh to tender? He now says, "Beloved, people loved. Of, I love you guys, right?" He says, "I'm confident of better things." And it says, "Not only that, even God is not unjust to forget your labor. You have been faithful. You have been faithful. There are fruits." Remember, I talked about a rain falling and bearing herbs. There are fruits to show that indeed you are saved and you are continuing. You're not going to fall away. Don't be afraid. I told you, right, that the scripture doesn't teach fear. It teaches love, trust in in God. Of course, it lets you know the dangers of certain things, but it's not to make you fearful. He now says what? And we desire that each one of you show the same words, diligence. Remember what he was scolding them for, that they were what? Sluggish. They were lazy. And he says, we desire. Can you see how everything is coming back together? He says, see, all we want is that you guys pick up. You are pick up that you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Show the same diligence, the same earnestness that you you've had in in taking care of the believers, this um, in in the ministering to the saints. Just in spite of your persecution, just transfer that same energy to holding fast to salvation. Transfer that same energy to let's keep going on. Let's keep going on. It's, we can't stop. Let's keep going on in the word of God, in the practice of Christianity. It says what again, verse 12, that you do not become words sluggish. The same. That's why if you don't start from Hebrews 5, I pity you. <laughs> I pity you. I pity you. It says that you do not become sluggish, but imi- we're going to stop at verse 12. So don't worry. This is la- the last verse. I'm not going to go further. This is the last verse for today. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. First of all, the reason he uses the word promises, right, is plural because why? It came in diverse manners and diverse ways. To David was an everlasting kingdom. To Abraham, it was seeds as as number as the sands of the earth and as the stars in the sky, right? So to Israel was the promised land. So they were promises, right? All through the our fathers. Don't forget, that's still the same idea. It's scripture, right? So imitate people that they kept faith and they were patient. They kept faith. They were patient. They didn't even know that it was ultimately pointing to Christ. But through faith and patience, they received a commendation. In Romans 4, we're going to look at that next week once we go down the next few verses. That it was recorded that Abraham was, it was counted that Abraham, sorry, Abraham was counted as righteous. Say, why was he written? Was he first? He says, no, it's for our sake. So that we would know that that the person who has the same faith, like faith, like Abraham, has also been counted righteous. So the scriptures, again, you read the, the testimonies of these guys. You read things like Daniel holding fast to faith and throwing in the lives. And what is the lesson you are meant to take on? That's what he's saying. Imitate him because he had faith and through faith and patience inherited the promises of course daniel died without seeing israel leave and um, leave babylon um, what do you call it yeah babylon although the angel did come to him at the end and he said at this point in time this and that and ultimately even the future true redemption of israel that's salvation in christ so that's what he's saying you guys have been sluggish you guys have been so if i was to summarize if I was to summarize what he has been saying so far, he's saying that what you there's a lot I want to say, but you guys are not, you've not, you've been sluggish, you're not putting in the right diligence. And of course, maybe because of the persecution, but rather I say it's understandable. No, what does he say? It says there's no point in us staying here. 
because exa- that's the summary of all we've been saying is jazz up. No, they lose God. Focus. <laughs> Anyways, um, that there's no point staying. There's no point staying here because if if any of you fall away, staying here would not even bring the person back. So there's really no point. Instead, be diligent. Be diligent. Let us let us actually move on to perfection. Imitate the people who, through persecution, they maintained their faith. They were patient and they inherited the promise. So, if you guys can stop being sluggish, be diligent. We will be able, and that's why he will now go on. Now that he has told them, you have to be diligent. You will now start to see that he he goes on to explain the very things that he talked about. Right. So that's the. I just realized that a lot of my notes from last night are not here, I think. Oh, okay, no, they are. Okay, I found it. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So the solution to your these states that you people in is not in repeating the fundamentals. Rather, it's a change of approach. That it's because don't forget the reason is difficult. It's not because it's hard in itself, it's because of your heart. And so he encourages them. Be diligent be diligent be diligent right so that you would actually be able to mature and he now goes on so now he's got, he's now going to go back to that high priest thing we started talking about in chapter 5 this was just a little deviation to say there's just so much you want to say but you guys maybe because of the persecution you've become so cold you become so cold and he said there's really we are not going to keep accommodating sluggishness no because even if you fall away, there is no, there is no, there is no hope. But we know it's not going to happen. We know you are safe. So, be diligent. That's the summary. Be diligent and imitate the people you see in the, in scriptures and keep pressing on to the full assurance of hope till the end. That's 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 all. It's not a scary verse. Ah, yeah, those who are enlightened. No, it's simply the heart of a, a father or a pastor wanting to because don't forget these are people that are being tempted to get back to judaism in fact the solution they need is to even grow more to understand why judaism was only a figure of what was to come and so that's why he was even writing the book because he wants to he wants to teach on all those things he wants to let them know how even in the priesthoods even in the angels even in moses all of this what christ was better and we can see it in the old so he wants to do all that but it's like if I start talking, you guys will not even get me. Why? Because it, for a time now, you are not even growing anymore. You've become sluggish. You've become lazy. And he's telling them that we need to go on. So therefore, stare yourselves or be diligent. I want you to be diligent until the end. That's that's literally all. That's literally all he's trying to say. And then he now goes back to now teach the very things he wanted to teach. That he said they were too sluggish to read. That's 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 it. That's the flow of the book. He's teaching a couple of things. He wants to go more, but he pauses. He addresses their attitude towards um, towards um, growth, towards the towards their faith at that point in time. Of course, probably because of persecution. And he tells them that no, you shouldn't be sluggish. You shouldn't be sluggish. If you look through scriptures, the people who inherited promise were those who were diligent, who held fast to faith, who were patient in spite of tribulation, and they did receive. So Abraham, hundred, ah, Abraham received a child a hundred years. I think the promise he waited for like forty-five years, right? The Israelites, um, 
um of course because they didn't believe but at least they shall go to the promised land last last whether is whether only two people and the rest died at least they shall got there or stuff like that we see story and story again of people in the scriptures who through faith and patience they inherited the promise so you guys jazz up wake up be diligent hold fast to what you have believed hold fast to the word of god and grow let's let's actually keep moving on let's build on what we've learned so that you are mature enough to discern between what is valuable and what is worthless i mean after all at the end of the if a mature person would see no reason to go back to judaism he knows that in no aspect is it better do you see that so that's why that's why he mentioned those three verses that's all that's literally all does it make sense let me see thumbs up so i hope this would not be hard verse anymore i hope it's i hope it's been clear and this is why context is so important so imagine if you were not reading about oh i want to tell you many things oh let's leave oh no all you are seeing is hey can they fall away can they not fall away can they fall away can they... no you are missing you you've even from the moment you started looking for an answer to just that question you've missed the entire conversation so i hope this is clear guys awesome i'm i'm glad it is you can always listen i'm i'm very happy i've been able to do justice this verse so the next time someone just if you send them this one i'm sure by just listening to me they will know that they have to listen to the beginning you can't you know right can you i mean it's because you guys have stuck with me in fact as you start to realize it's not just because you've stuck stuck with me through hebrews it's because you've been following different trains of thought in other epistles that now is becoming easier to understand why they are saying certain things what they mean like we just went to galatians but then we do romans probably one of the last books we do everything will make sense everything will make sense all right guys thank you for holding out 20 minutes beyond time i really appreciate it um let's any final questions and we'll pray around them any final or no time has time is fast spent if you have any question text me or that if it's very urgent if it's affecting your current understanding you can send me a message if not you can ask me next week and then i want to i want to make sure i release you guys right now we've gone 20 minutes beyond time so heavenly father thank you so much for today's study um it was a lot of fun um thank you for your word thank you for the the diligence and just that patience to go through scripture after scripture and to see truth clearly revealed i pray that as a body we are able to better handle your word and to see its impact in our lives when it is truly interpreted thank you lord god as we go on in the rest of hebrews i pray from clarity unto clarity in jesus name amen